Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. If you are visiting with us, you're our honored guest. If you are joining us on social media, we welcome you as well. For those uh, in the auditorium, I would remind you about our friendship register. There should be a clipboard with one of these slips on each pew. We'd ask that you sign in if you're visiting with us. We want to get a record of this. By the way, this applies up in the balcony as well. We want to get everybody's uh, uh, attendance recorded. At the end of services, the ushers will come by and and uh, pick up your slips. Also, if you happen to need something to write with, if you'll just hold up your hand, maybe the ushers can find some writing instruments and uh, get you a pen. Leading us in our worship this morning, uh, in our song service will be Brother uh, Joe Garrett uh, leading our prayer, Brother Bo Gross, Scripture reading, Brother Cole Sweeney, um, Brother Ken will have the lesson today, Cameron Jumper will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper, and Guy Gardner is scheduled for the announcements and closing prayer. Uh, I have some important information I would like to share before we begin our uh, worship service. First of all, we're overjoyed to announce that Todd English was baptized into Christ this past Friday, and we're thankful for Todd taking this important step in his spiritual journey, and we pray for God's greatest blessings to be upon him and his family. Just a, a few days after the war started in Ukraine, the Boonville congregation sent uh, $5,000 in relief effort to the Christians in that country. We are channeling our money through the Delreda Church of Christ in Montgomery. They have had an ongoing mission effort with the Ukraine. Uh, some have asked if there's any way that they could personally help in this effort. And if you would like to make out a check uh, to uh, for this effort, uh, and beyond your personal, your normal contribution, uh, just indicate on that it's for Ukraine benevolence and give, give that check to either Billy Martin or Brother Doug Smith. As a congregation, we express our sympathy to the family of Frog Perigo, who died unexpectedly yesterday. The funeral arrangements are incomplete and will be announced uh, as soon as we know what they are. I had a call yesterday from Brother Chuck Bonham requesting that we pray for Sandy. Sandy is in the Tupelo Hospital with stage four cancer. We need to pray for Sandy's comfort and for strength for the family. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can assemble today 
to worship thee. We pray that all that we do would be pleasing in your sight. Father, we are so excited to welcome uh, Brother Todd English into the family here at Boonville. We pray your greatest blessings to be with him. Father, we are mindful of the war in the Ukraine. We uh, pray especially for the Christians there, but we pray for peace. We pray for an end to this war. We know that you are all-powerful, and we ask for your intervention. And, Father, we ask your comfort to be with the family of Frog Perigo and help us to be instruments of your comfort. And, Father, we pray for our sister Sandy Bonham. We pray for uh, her comfort. We pray that you'd be with those who are ministering to her. We pray also for her family. We pray that you would give them strength. We are so thankful for Chuck and how he stands by his wife, and we pray your blessings to be with him. And now, Father, we ask that you join us. Help us to worship thee in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. First song this morning is in a land where we'll never grow old. <clears throat> I have heard
Please bow with me. Under loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the day that you've blessed us, Lord. Uh, we're so thankful, Father, for the beautiful blue skies, the sun that you've given us, and especially, Father, the opportunity and the privilege to worship you. We pray, Father, that everything we do and say this morning will be in accordance to your word and pleasing in your sight, Father. Lord, we lift up the ones who have requested prayer this morning, for the ones who are dealing with sickness, dealing with different troubles, troubles in their lives, Father, the, the individuals who are dealing with the, the war in Ukraine, Father, for Sister Sandy and the sickness she is dealing with, we just pray that you would comfort her, give her strength, Father, I also pray for her family that you would give them to the courage and strength to, to look to you for, for everything that they need, Father. But we realize that we are so blessed with everything you've given us physically, but especially, Father, all the blessings we have spiritually. But we thank you for everything you've done, but especially your precious Son. Father, we pray that you'll go with us the rest of this worship service. We also pray that you'll be with us through our lives. So. Someday we will have that place where we will never grow old and never deal with war and never deal with sickness again, Father. But we realize we fall short of what you deserve, and we pray that you forgive us of our shortcomings. Again, we thank you for everything, but especially your precious Son. His name we do only pray. Amen. Song before the the lesson this morning is I'll be satisfied, not in the book. from Revelations chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. 
And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, yet ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Good morning, everyone. It is true. There are wars, and in particular, a war that's got our interest. And there are people who are very sick, and there is death. And if that's all we ever dwelled on, we would be a depressed people, wouldn't we? But... There are reasons for us to rejoice. This week, Todd English was baptized into Christ by his father-in-law. And I don't know of anything that is a cause for rejoicing more than the birth into eternity. A soul that's been saved, sins that have been washed away. I just, I don't know of greater joy. And Todd... I'm sure you experienced that joy, but I'm telling you, everybody who hears that is right there with you. And then, yes, there is sadness in in death. And I was shocked, as many of you were, and some of you maybe just heard it today. Frog Perigo, who sits with his wife, Carolyn, back there in that back corner. He passed away. And... Like JT said, he was one of those people that just seemed like he was going to live on and on. In fact, he was 90 years of age. Now, what's beautiful about his story is that you remember just a few months ago, JT baptized Frog in this water right over here to have his sins washed away. And what's great about that story is that, you know, he wasn't 20 years old or 40 years old or 60 years old, 90 years old. And at that age, to have a lifetime of sins washed away, and really, who knew, only months before his departure from this world, is that not also a reason for great rejoicing? So today, despite the wars and the illness and even death, the Christian has reason to rejoice. Isn't that true? And I appreciate so much, Joe, the happy sense of the songs that we sang today and the joy that we all ought to have when we assemble here. I hope that when we come together, we can let go of some of the things that are for many very depressing and just just rejoice because we have reason for that. It just happens that today's lesson reminds us that, yes, 
we are, as many have been throughout history, a persecuted family of God. But in that, there are many reasons to rejoice, to have absolutely no fear. Before we start our study today, let's pray that God will bless us in the endeavor to uncover his truth today. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege, the blessing it is to assemble here today and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the songs that have been a vehicle for us to express our praise to you. We thank you for the time of prayer that we've already enjoyed to offer our petitions and our thanks to you. And Father, as we will assemble figuratively around this table to observe the Lord's Supper and to remember the death of Jesus, we are inspired to live for him. And of course, we demonstrate our love and our commitment to that cause in our giving. And so all these acts, we we expect, Father, that you will be pleased with our attention to them. But now in this time, I pray that you'll bless us in our study of your word, that we can truly meditate upon it and it'll become enlivened in us. And though these words were spoken to a church so many years ago, these words are still alive and are so applicable to us, especially in our time of wars and illness and death. I pray, Father, that we will take these matters to heart and that they will change us. We'll have a a different perspective on our role in all these things. Help me to communicate that, Lord, and be with our hearers that they can hear your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you've heard the text, and I just want to kind of go back over it and just see the content that's found in this beautiful text of Scripture from Revelation chapter 2. A short letter that is written to the church in Smyrna. So he identifies the Savior in this text. Their Savior and our Savior. He is the first and the last. That is, he is the all-encompassing one. He was dead, but he came to life. He is a living Savior. And not only is he living as our Savior, but... He takes note of what's going on. He knows the circumstances that we face. And in this text, he tells them, look, the Lord knows your works. He knows the tribulation that you are facing. He even knows about your poverty, although you are rich. And he's aware of the blasphemy against you that's coming from your enemies. But in the midst of these I guess we would call them negative statements. There are also these positive exhortations. Because despite the difficulties that that church was facing, they are told to have no fear. And that if they will be faithful until death, they will receive the crown of life. And even on the heels of that, there is a kind of command. A command to hear what the Spirit was saying to them. And a reminder that if they would heed the words of the Spirit, and if they would overcome the difficulties of their time, that they would not be hurt by the second death. Smyrna 
was the persecuted church. And I can't help but think as these words are addressed and and the, the way that that unfolds reminds me of something that Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus reminded us that in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Dwell on that for a moment, will you? You are going to have tribulation. I don't know what form that is going to take. Maybe it is very real for you right now. In fact, when you look at the troubles that you are facing, maybe you refer to them as your time of tribulation. But whether that is an experience that you are in in this moment, or that is something that is coming down the road, understand the truth is you are going to face tribulation. Now listen, I don't care what anybody tells you. That if you will obey the gospel or you'll, you'll join a, a certain church that automatically, just kind of magically, all your troubles will be gone. Your bank account will be full. You'll drive a fancy new car and you'll have the biggest house in the neighborhood. That is far and away a lie. That is not what we were promised. In fact, what Jesus promised was the opposite. In the world, which you're not to cater to, you're living in it, but you're not a part of it. And so most of what you experience is against you. In that world that is against you, you are going to experience, you're going to go through tribulation. But have cheer about it. Because Jesus says, I I have overcome that. I have overcome the world. I want to break this text into two parts. And in the first part, we'll be looking at the contents of verses 8 and 9. And then the second part, we'll be looking at verses 10 and 11. The first one I want to describe this way. I just want to describe it as that which is. I want us to understand the reality of our time and of our moment. You say, well, Ken, why is it that you would talk about the reality of our time and our moment out of, well, what we would call an ancient text? You know, it is, it is the New Testament, but th- these words were written thousands, a couple of thousand years ago. So how could that be pertinent to what I'm experiencing? I'm going to tell you, if you didn't notice it as it was being read a moment ago, I'm hoping that we'll nail it as we go along here today. The words that were written to the church in Smyrna, a persecuted church, those words are just about as relevant today as they were on the day that they were penned. And by the way, isn't that the beauty of the inspiration of God? It is not limited to a particular place and time, to a particular people It is like a well-worn garment that we wrap ourselves in and we find comfort in. This text applies to us today as much as any other time. That which is. Well, I want to say it this way. That which is dead 
or at least was dead, is now alive. And I'm referencing what I mentioned in our description of the content a moment ago. Jesus was dead. He died on the cross. He died on the cross to shed his blood to wash your sins away. But the beautiful thing about that Savior, Jesus, is that although he was dead, yet he was resurrected from the grave, and he is alive. That which was dead has come to life. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning of it all, and he will be the one who signs it out. Jesus is our all in all. As pertains to the gospel and its revelation of Jesus as having died, and as this text is describing, having come alive, the first and the last. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes it this way, and then gives the evidence or the witnesses to back up the testimony that is given. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you've received, and which uh, you are saved. If you bear witness according to the truth that was delivered to you, he said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Well, prove that, Paul. Can you substantiate that truth? He says, well, you know what? At least in the time that that was written, he could say there are any number of eyewitnesses that you could grab hold of and get the evidence that you require. One of those, he said, would be Cephas. You know, Peter, uh, the, the rock, as it were. Peter the apostle, that great announcer on the day of Pentecost, the presentation of the gospel for the first time. If you were to grab him, he could be an eyewitness for you. Or he said, well, then Jesus also presented himself to the twelve. So the twelve, as evidenced by their association with Jesus and hearing all of the teachings of Jesus, seeing the miracles, they could testify to who he was and of his resurrection from the grave. They saw him as he was renewed to life. And then he says there were 500 who saw him at one time. So if you can't get a hold of just the 12 men, there's just a multitude of folks that were witnesses to that. And that leader that's in the church there in Jerusalem, James, James also could testify to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Or all of the apostles, all of them saw him at one time together. And then Paul says, if that isn't enough, come and ask me. I can give you a testimony to the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead, which makes possible our salvation. Paul says that is the gospel message. And that gospel message testifies to not a dead Savior, but a living Savior. So that which was dead, it's now alive. That which was at one time very easy, he says has become very difficult. So the Lord, our living Savior, He is able to see our works. He is able to see the tribulation that we go through. And He's able to see our poverty. And in their case, He said, though you are rich. I thought it was interesting that for them, 
the reality, they're in poverty. I, I take it that so far as the world's goods were concerned, they had no, no uh, monetary things to hold on to. You know, it wasn't like they had a, a big church building and a lot of property, uh, had a bunch of CDs in the bank. That, that was not the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a poor establishment for the Lord in this world. He says, but the reality is that you are rich. You are full of the favor and the grace of God. You set that in contrast with the church that was in Laodicea. In chapter 3 of Revelation and verse 17, he says, here's your estimation of yourself. Not that you are poor, as was in the case of Smyrna. But they said, we are rich, we are wealthy, we have need of nothing. But the Lord did not say, yeah, you know what, you are rich. Just like that Smyrna church. No, he did not. He said, no, in reality, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you see what just happened there? Now, these are contrasting letters written to churches that existed in the first century. One church thought they had it all going on. They've got the stuff. They have got physical evidence to their prowess in the world. But the Lord was not impressed because they had substituted physical things for the spiritual. This church in Smyrna, they're patently spiritually minded. In fact, there's not a negative thing said about them. However poor they were physically, they were mighty wealthy spiritually in their relationship with the Lord. Something that all of us ought to be aspiring to, especially in difficult times. All those difficult times, what they were experiencing according to this text, was a kind of blasphemy. He said that they were being blasphemed by those who said they were Jews, but were not. In fact, he describes them as a synagogue of Satan. Okay, now I'm going to take it just on surface value that probably there was a, a host of Jews who had gathered... And because of, of their despising the Christian movement and by virtue of despising Christians were despising Jesus Christ, that they were in that sense blaspheming the very name of the Lord. The church that is bearing the name of its living Savior is being ridiculed and despised by others. Jesus is taking issue with that and calling it a blasphemy against him. That's what happens. I mean, that is the truth. If you're a Christian and you are ridiculed, you're despised, you are mistreated, maybe you just take that personally. But listen, it isn't just a personal affront. It isn't just something that is targeting you. Because if what precipitates that treatment is the life that you are living in the image of Jesus, then they aren't just attacking you. They're attacking that precious name that you wear. See that? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that matter. How is it that I glorify God when I'm going through these things? Well, by virtue of my receiving that abuse or sustaining those attacks, I am reflecting 
the good of God, and then that glory is attributed to God. If you suffer as a Christian, it isn't to your glory. You're not who you are because of your own ability, because of your own goodness. You are who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. And then by virtue of your being the example of Jesus, you suffer. If that happens, God is glorified because what they're doing is they're attacking God in, in you. Or remember uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 16, 17, and 18. If children than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now in that text he talks about suffering with Christ. However, Jesus wasn't living when those words were written, not in the flesh. Jesus isn't living in the flesh in our time. Yet the same end result would be for us as it was for them. And here's the point. Even though Jesus isn't literally, actually, physically walking along with me, by virtue of the fact that he is in us by faith, then when we go through these struggles and trials as a Christian, when we stand up for the name of Jesus Christ and we are ridiculed for it, then as that quote-unquote, suffering comes, that, that again, in that action, is a glory to God. And he says, there is that inheritance. Uh, you've become an heir with Jesus. You are partnered with him because you are walking in tandem with Jesus. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You weren't the first to be subjected to abuse because you're a Christian. You won't be the last But be like those who went before you, who endured such suffering and who brought glory and honor to God through it. In Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, beautiful concept, I think, kind of brought all together. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul of Tarsus, when did you ever persecute Jesus? Uh, Not sure ever met the guy. So how is it now that Jesus has died and has ascended to the Father and you are persecuting Christians? How is it that now you are actually persecuting Jesus? Well... We've already seen it, I hope. And that is when the Christian is persecuted, the person who's doing the persecuting is by virtue of that persecuting Jesus Christ. And thus, in our text, the blasphemy. He says of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, 
I always thought that was intriguing, kind of scary sounding, right? A synagogue, a place of worship for Satan. And some people have taken off on that and talk about satanic worship, blah, blah, blah. I, I think that's far from the truth. I think he's identifying those who would name themselves as followers of God who are giving specific persecution to Christians. Who would that be? Well, he names Jews, and I have no reason to think it's anybody else. Because within Judaism, there were those who followed Jesus and were intrigued by what he said and were studying, were were trying to learn the truth. And then there were some who were so biased in their thinking that no matter what Jesus said, nor the miracles that he performed in evidence of his sonship, nothing he could do would satisfy their minds. And so they sought to put him to death and were successful. And so the synagogue of Satan. Well, I know that the Jews, according to Romans 3, verse 2, had received for themselves the oracles of God. They should have known Jesus, but many rejected. Still others were really wanting to please God and maybe confused about the matter. Instead of launching into a belief in Jesus, maybe just kind of skirted that a little bit and came up with their own doctrines, but not quite being turned to the truth. And it was that scenario that even the Apostle Paul felt so much angst about and his heart just broke in a desire to see his own people saved. In Romans chapter 10, he said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel real is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Again, that idea reminds me of something that Paul dealt with in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. He says that there are some Jews who present themselves Jews Outwardly. That is, they have all of the apparent qualifications. But he says that's not a real Jew. He said a real Jew is the one who is one inwardly. That which is. That's a whole bucket full of negative things. And much of that which deals with opposition to Christianity, attacks on Christians the demise of spiritual things, and even an appropriation of what Paul said there in Romans chapter 2. Just because outwardly I present myself as a Christian, that doesn't make the deal. What matters is what's on the inside, what I am, what I am inwardly. That part of it is as true today as it ever was. That which is. Well, Let's take the next step, which he does. How about that which is to be? That is the future. (laughs) Except, I, I will tell you that what he just described right there was the light stuff. Because he's like, there is something coming. I, I think for a moment about the way it was in their moment as this letter is being read. You know, the guy who's writing this, who's penning it. Yeah, it's the words of Jesus, but it was John the Apostle who had penned these words by inspiration of God. John is in exile on the Isle of Patmos. 
His experience had been this. Well, you know, when he was partnered with Peter, going around preaching the gospel, those guys ended up in prison a lot. And then not only that, as is the time of this reading, now John's basically the only apostle who has left. All the apostles have been martyred or died in some horrific way. And they stand for the truth. Things are getting rough around here. Think about Peter and Paul and James who have been martyred for their faith. They died because they stood up for the truth. But John says... Do not fear. <laughs> Do not fear? Seriously? With all this that's going on around us and people are dying? Do not fear? Well, that's what he said. In fact, he said, I'll give you a warning that there are going to be ten days of tribulation. Again, kind of figurative language. Most scholars think that 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 use of words is kind of keying on a statement that's found in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 12. Where you know Daniel was going to be tested for 10 days. And here was the test that he endured. Instead of eating the king's delicacies, he was going to eat vegetables and drink water. Oh, the horror! Well, I'm thinking, 10 days on just vegetables and water? I'd starve to death. But Daniel endured that. You say, oh, praise the Lord. He went through this terrible period of tribulation. Well, now, wait a minute. It was a short time, and it wasn't terribly severe. Kind of get that's the idea of what's being talked about here. You know, there's going to be a, a short period of time, a time... A time you can endure. You know, if I know something's going to last for just a little while, I, I, can, I can mentally prepare myself for it, and I can hang in there if I know it's going to end quickly. And with, whether it's eating vegetables and drinking water or some other difficulty, as has already been evidenced that they are experiencing, they were going to endure it for just a short time. But here's the problem. You're going to endure this for a short time, but it is just in preparation of something that's going to be much worse. For Daniel and his companions, it got very much worse. For Daniel, you remember, that even though he had endured that initial test, that he was thrown into the lion's den. Of course, the good result, he trusted in the Lord and he was delivered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three companions, they were thrust into a fiery furnace. And they also, even though facing death in a certainty, were preserved because of their faith in Almighty God. And the same conclusion has to be drawn here. Yeah, you're going to have this tribulation for ten days, but be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto or until death, literally means keep on keeping on in that. Keep on being faithful until such time as you die in the process of it. Interesting, historically, is the depiction of one of the elders later, actually into the second century. So this was just some time before 
um, the story that I want to tell you that our letter is being written to the church in Smyrna. In the second century, there was an elder in the church of Smyrna by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was 86 years old when he was brought before the Roman proconsul and told to denounce Jesus Christ in return for his physical safety. 86 years old. Polycarp said, in the 86 years that I have been a servant of him, he has never once failed me. So how is it that I could blaspheme my king when he saved me? The Roman proconsul committed Polycarp at 86 years of age to die by burning at the stake. The story, at least the tradition, is that his body was not consumed in the fire. And so they finished him off by stabbing him to death. Be faithful until death and I'll give you the crown of life, and don't fear. (laughs) Wait, what? All those apostles who had been martyred? Polycarp in the second century, who was burned at the stake, and they had to take his life by stabbing? You're telling me not to fear? How can I not be afraid with all the things that are swirling about me? I'll tell you how. Because there is more to it than this. Much more to it than this. Be faithful until death, did you hear him? And you'll receive the crown of life. That is not just an addendum to the physical life that you're living now. Oh, you'll get another ten years or so. That is not what he is saying. He's talking about eternal life. Living forever and ever with the Lord. Free from pain and the anguish of living in this life. Free from the abuse that a society would give us because we have the attributes of Jesus Christ. Have the crown of life, eternal life with Jesus. And not only that, he says if you will overcome, then you won't be hurt by the second death. There is an incredible assurance that is given. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I'll not fear. What can man do to me? (laughs) Man Man can beat you up. Man can make accusations against you. Man can take away everything that you have physically in this life, but he can't touch a soul that is vested with God. Be faithful until death, you'll get the crown of life, he said. You'll not be hurt by the second death, he said. And oh, about physical death, oh, about Polycarp being burned and then stabbed. Was he there alone? I tell you, no, he wasn't. In Psalm 23 and verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I could not imagine the anguish unto death for such a treatment physically. But I know the promise of God. 
to walk with me and be with me even through the darkest moments of my life. And then, and then in anticipation of eternal life, Jesus could tell as he was discussing or beginning the discussion with his disciples of his leaving them, he could already tell that they were getting emotional about the idea of Jesus leaving them. And in John chapter 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. For where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul the Apostle had talked so much about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, so much so that many of the Thessalonians thought Jesus' return was imminent. But as they were awaiting the return of the Lord, some of their loved ones had already passed. And now they're frustrated. What's going to happen to them if the Lord returns? What will happen to their bodies? Uh, We're worried about their eternal soul. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Listen to this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort in the knowledge that Jesus is coming back and he's going to receive us to himself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be faithful until death. You'll receive the crown of life, I promise. Overcome, and you won't be hurt by the second death. What on earth does all this have to do with us? Can you see that it has everything to do with us. Here's something I know. Jesus, who is the first and the last, who was dead but came to life, he understands every single one of us and what it is that we are facing. And here's what he says. 
Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Live your life as a Christian fearlessly. Now examine that for a minute. Christian, the one wearing the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is the object of ridicule and abuse in this world, are you fearful? Jesus says, have no fear. Are you fearful? Today's the day to be rid of that fear, to set aside the persecution of the church, to live for Jesus, to not worry about its outcome, but to trust Him for the outcome. If you have fear that's standing in the way of your service to Him, repent of that today, okay? Let's get that behind us. If you're not a child of God today, have your sins washed away. Have the blood of Jesus be enlivened such that it takes that sin away. You rise up, as He did, out of a, in this case, a watery grave to newness of life, faithfully serving Him the rest of the way. Because, you know, if you'll be faithful until death, you'll receive the crown of life, eternal life. If there's anybody who needs to respond today, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing. Jesus is talking, talking, talking. Jesus is calling today. Why should I
As we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, if anyone needs the emblems, if you raise your hand, they'll be provided to you at this time. Matthew chapter 26, there's many events taking place and leading up to and a lot of stuff going on. The beginning of the chapter, the chief priests and scribes are plotting together in preparation of attempting to assassinate and kill Christ and many other things. One of his own twelve is leading up to betray him and gathering together with them and much uh, deceit and Jesus being in 100% flesh form dealing with all this continues to carry on and do the will of the Father. At the end of the chapter, the institution of the Lord's Supper is given, and this is what the book says. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's give thanks for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for all the great blessings and sacrifices and many wonderful things thou hast done for us. Lord, we come to thee at this time to partake of the bread. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we'll partake of it in a manner pleasing unto thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for that purchasing blood that we all contact, Lord, through Thy sacrifice for us, Lord. Ever so thankful for the, the many things that have been done. Lord, pray that we'll partake of this, remembering Thee. Pray, Lord, we'll do it pleasing unto Thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we have opportunity to lay in store, as we've prospered, there's many ways and abilities we have to give back for the work of the church. And we, uh, at this time, we'll give thanks for the blessings and we're able to give, give back. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for the blessings of health and strength and skills and ability that Thou has blessed each one of us with. Lord, we pray that we'll always use them to Thy glory. Pray, Lord, that we'll always help others with those when we have opportunity. Pray, Lord, most of all, we will give our portion unto thee cheerfully. Pray that we'll continue to, to glorify thy kingdom and continue to aid in thy work. Pray, Lord, we'll always give cheerfully unto thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Hope everybody's having a better weekend than the March Madness brackets at the Gardner House. I uh, do have several announcements. Uh, people we need to remember that are uh, sick, please 
Remember Hannah Peck, she was discharged from the hospital yesterday. Uh, she will be going to Prattville, Alabama with her mo mother for recovery. Remember Martha Eaton, she's having health issues and needs prayers. Of course, we need to remember uh, Sandy Bonham in her prayers. Please keep the family of Frog Perigo in our prayers as he passed away yesterday. Gary Bridges from Jumpertown passed away. This was Martha Eaton and Joan Mormon's brother-in-law. Uh, sympathy is extended to Tory Pounds and family in the death of her grandfather, Donald Bunch, who passed away this past Wednesday. And also sympathy to Cassie Foster and her family in the death of her uncle, Andy Harden. Uh, we do want to rejoice, as has been mentioned, in the baptist baptism of Todd English earlier this week. Uh, visitation team and SALT team four will be assisting the Christian Scholarship Committee in a fundraising supper after evening Bible classes on Sunday, April 3rd. Area youth-wide devotional at Foot Street. Is that tonight, Jordan? Is tonight. Song leading and songs of praise will meet at 345. Boys in the auditorium, girls in the little chapel. Fourth and seventh grade puppets will meet after services. Lunch will be provided. The Golden Circle will be going to the Tammy Wynette Legacy Center this Friday. The bus will leave at 8.30 a.m. And, we'll, and we'll return that afternoon. Uh, remember, the Boonville Middle School food donations can be placed in the boxes in the foyer. Everyone registered for speech needs to check with Stephen this morning, please. Parents, please make this happen. And just to uh, put it on your radar, we're still a few weeks away, but our uh, annual Easter egg hunt will be April 10th, uh, right after morning worship. Everyone, please start bringing eggs and candy. There will be a place to put those in the foyer uh, next week. After the egg hunt, there will be a SALT Team 3 uh, fellowship luncheon and any uh, Parents and kids participating in the egg hunt, please feel free to stay and eat with SALT Team 3, and there will be more information uh, coming on that as we get closer. And that's all the announcements I have. If you'll bow with me, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you allowed us to come here this morning, and we thank you for Ken and the great ability he has to preach your word and we're thankful for the lesson we got to hear god we ask that you please go with us this week as we go out into the world please give us strength give us courage to strive to do your will in all things that we do we love you father and we thank you so much for your son jesus in his name we pray amen